I'd like to begin uh, today by describing a writer. And um, I've often wondered about writing books and things. Uh, there was one particular writer where his very first book was rejected by 27 different publishers. And in the time of his writing, Life Magazine had uh, mentioned how the, the current approach at that time toward helping educate and literate, uh, literate, uh, help to bring literacy to uh, American school children, um, maybe I should write a book, I don't know, uh, that they were actually helping increase uh, illiteracy uh, in different ways. And Theodore Geisel's publisher once gave him 348 words that educators thought were really important to helping promote literacy, and uh, he took 223 of those words, added a few others, about a baker's dozen more, and created his first children's book. Does anybody know the title of it? The Cat in the Hat. Theodore Geisel is also known, of course, as Dr. Seuss, who now has sold over 200 million copies of his books around the world. And I think with me, you probably would agree that uh, Theodore Geisel uh, discovered his life calling in the writing of children's books and promoting literature and reading. And uh, he wrote a lot of other books, Green Eggs and Ham, and on down the list uh, we go. Christian people, sons and daughters of the living God, have also been given a calling a calling to something God intends for all of us individually and certainly collectively to fulfill. And that calling is first to come to and to follow Jesus. And that following of Him is a pursuit to go wherever He would take us. Dr. Luke in the Bible says, I have told you about Jesus' life in a previous writing, and now I'm going to tell you about what happened at the beginning of the unstoppable movement of God that Jesus continues to lead through His church. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. We're going to open in our Bibles, if you'd like to, Acts chapter 1. That's how my summarizing of his initial words. As he continues, it's really part two of a writing uh, to a particular person um, named Theophilus, one who loves God and describing to him the person of Jesus, what Jesus taught, what He did, what His calling in life is, and now what the church is intended to be. And so he opens by reading, or by offering these words in Acts chapter 1. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After his suffering, and he's meaning his death on the cross, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, Jesus says, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, 
But you will receive power when you when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. Father, we pray that in this moment together that your spirit would be active among us, that our hearts would be responsive and our ears cleared away to hear and to respond as you, living God, would interact with us now in the quietness of our inner life. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Dr. Luke is pointing to helping us understand, in part, that there was a real resurrection that had occurred. In fact, he says it so simply that it was such a matter of fact for the first century believers who were living in the time of Jesus that he didn't need to go into a lot of explanation. However, I would like to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking together with you on a non-Easter Sunday about the importance of resurrection, why it matters, and why it is so central to our Christian faith. Because without resurrection, you and I really, really, truly have zero hope. There is no basis or foundation for hope because there is no forgiveness without resurrection. Without resurrection, there is no redemption, a a reuniting of that which is broken between people and God. Without resurrection, that is not possible. And without resurrection, there is no real access to God. I want to encourage you to pull out your uh, little orange insert. This uh, describes our, our series here, there, and everywhere. And... Uh, If you turn it over to the back side, you'll see uh, an expression, a teaching tool that I borrowed shamelessly from uh, Hank Hanegraaff, and it's been very helpful to me in conversations and just in my own thinking about about the resurrection. And here we stand 2,000 years after Jesus was raised from the dead, and sometimes we can ask, okay, I believe, but so what? I mean, really, what, what does it matter in today's living, what does it matter spiritually? What does it matter in the normalcy of my life and in the message that we have to take to people around us and around the world? He describes, Hanegraaff describes the resurrection event, that first Easter, as the greatest feat of history. F-E-A-T, feat. And so we're going to use that as an acrostic and uh, we're going to spell out a few things as to what that means. The F in the, the word feat is fatal torment. If you're taking notes, you want to write fatal torment. In Luke chapter 23 and other places in the gospel, when this first picture of Jesus being executed on a Roman form of execution, the cross, being buried in a tomb, and three days later coming back to life, it's very significant. Of course it is. We know it is. but what we sometimes think if we, and I've talked to skeptics about uh, various things of Christian faith, is sometimes this is an issue they get hung up on was the, the believability of the resurrection. And if so, so what? And part of what I like to remind them of is that uh, you know sometimes there are theories out there, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die. Or maybe he uh, just kind of swooned on the cross and was unconscious. And, and uh, you know, what, what's the big deal? Uh, you know, the people were simple back then. They didn't really understand medical and modern science and medicine as we do today. And so perhaps they didn't really understand what was going on. And I would contend that people in the first century would know much more about death 
than most of us do because most of them were around it far more than you and I are. And it's not that they were simpletons, it's that they knew a very simple fact, and this is it. You ready? That when you're dead, you're dead. Right? They knew what death was. They knew that uh, people didn't pretend to die. They knew that you don't get buried into a tomb for three days and then somehow come out uh, having uh, been resuscitated only through a CPR process. No, Jesus was dead. There was no breath. There was no pulse. He really died. And we don't have time this morning to go into the plumb the depths of what that means theologically. But without an actual death of Jesus... God does not take the penalty of your sin, the consequence of your sin, because that penalty for my sin is death. Jesus dying, a real death, means that He really did take into Himself all of the ugly consequences of sin. And it really matters that He died a real death. So fatal torment as the greatest feat in history. The letter E is the empty tomb. That the tomb stood empty on that first Easter morning. In fact, the, um, uh, those uh, first uh, people arriving at the tomb, they were asked the very simple question, why are you here looking for the living among the dead? Right? The tomb was empty. And there were a lot of reasons politically and religiously in the day that people wouldn't want the Christian faith to go forward. They wouldn't want there to be a powerful message to be shared. And so if indeed, as some other skeptics might say, that, well, somebody just came and stole the body to prevent that from happening, if that indeed happened, then they would be able to produce the body of Jesus and say, see, He wasn't raised from the dead. There's no reason to have your faith fueled because He didn't really raised from the dead. There is a real empty tomb. There was a real death, fatal torment. The letter E is an empty tomb. The letter A is appearances. Appearances. That Jesus appeared to many, many hundreds of people over a long period of time. Why is that significant? Because uh, more than just a single appearing where somebody might say it was a group, the psychological trick and people were deceived and there was some mist in the air, people had some bad mushrooms to eat that day or whatever it might be. There were multiple days when Jesus came and He sat with them and He talked with them and He walked with them and He ate food with them, demonstrating that, yes, He was really dead, but now He is really alive So there's a fatal torment, there's an empty tomb, and He appeared to these men and women over a long period of time and multiple appearing moments. And the letter T is transformation. Transformation. That lives were changed because of the resurrection. That lives, men and women were willing to lay their life down and to give it up in martyrdom because the resurrection is true. I don't know about you, but... If they were simply trying to perpetuate a lie, I don't know anybody who would literally go to their own death in order to try to prove or to demonstrate something that they knew deeply to actually be flawed and a lie themselves. No one would go, I don't know anybody who would go to such extremes um, who is in their right mental faculties. The fact that Jesus is raised from the dead, it really does change Everything. You can note down 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read with you there. You're welcome to turn if you like. But the Apostle Paul picks up this idea. 
It helps expand our understanding of why the resurrection from the dead is so significant to our Christian faith. It is so important. The Apostle Paul is writing to those at a church in the city of Corinth who are concerned about uh, people whom they love who have now died and what is going to happen with them in the afterlife. And here are some of the words that he says about it. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, he, uh, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. A few verses earlier, in verse 3, he says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, if you want to go ask, go ahead and go ask them. They're still here to bear witness to you about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is raised from the dead, and because He has been raised from the dead, it changes everything. You see, we know now that Jesus is more than just an amazing teacher and an incredibly charismatic and motivational speaker. We know in the resurrection of Jesus that He has power unlike anyone else. We know now, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, that your sins and mine really can be forgiven. You know, one of the things that people fussed with Jesus, the religious leaders of His day, one of the things they fussed with Him the most was when He would claim to be able to forgive people of their sins. You know, their, their issue with that was significant because they would say, Jesus, you can't say things like this. Because only God can forgive sins. And you know what his response was? Right. That's right. He would say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. They said, no, 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 you can't say that. Yes, I can. Jesus, you can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. Right. Brother, your sins are forgiven. And if that's not enough, go ahead and pick up your mat. You're healed and be on your way. You see, Jesus is telling us something so significant. The resurrection is like a stamp of approval that God is who He says He is and is able to do what He said He would do. When I was in France, uh, I was trying to uh, uh, talk to people who were decision makers, whether in an apartment complex to rent me an apartment or uh, at the university so that I could enroll myself. And 
What was so fascinating, I learned very quickly, was that I, I wished I had brought some sort of, uh, I don't even know the tool that uh, notary publics use, but it, it puts an embossed seal, you know, you crimp the paper. I wished I had had something like that. I mean, it could have been a, a Target stamp or something from my elementary school. It wouldn't have mattered the content because uh, often it seemed, at least, that when a person was looking, they would look for something that would validate that this is official, it's legitimate, and they would want to see that they could feel it. Right? There had to be this embossed seal. And once they would see something like that, they would look much more pleasingly at it. They would trust suddenly that this really was an official document validating that I could support myself or that I was who I said I was. And in uh, in a more serious way, the resurrection of Jesus comes, and it is like a stamp that Jesus is saying, I am who I said I was. I told you that I would... You could destroy the temple and I would build it back in three days. People laughed at him. Jesus, this thing took decades and decades to build. What are you talking about? And it was only after his resurrection from the dead that they began to connect the dots and they began to realize, wow, he was equating himself with the temple. The temple was, from an Old Testament and first century Jewish perspective, the temple was a representation of God being present among the people. And they began to connect the dots, knowing now that Jesus wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about Himself. You destroy this temple, and in three days, He will be raised back from the dead. God in our midst. Why is the resurrection important? Because with the resurrection, we now have a hope that is anchored in something real, something historical, something based in fact. You know, hope is more than just wishful thinking. Oh, I hope that this will happen. Or I hope that this might turn out. Christian hope is actually based in fact. Not mere blind faith, but in a faith that's informed, that meets us at the very core of who we are. We now have hope, and the resurrection in Jesus helps us realize that. A last thing, why the resurrection matters, is because if Jesus has been raised from the dead and He now has ascended back and lives at the right hand of the Father, we can trust that those who in Christ die, that because of their relationship with Jesus, they too will be raised to eternal and forever life with God, and it's accessible through Jesus. All right, so let's turn the corner. What about us? What does this mean? Okay, it's all well and good. What did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1? Luke describes what happened. Jesus had been raised from the dead. He's talking about his meeting with the disciples. They come and they ask an interesting question, but Jesus wants to take them back to keeping the main thing the main thing. And here's the main thing. The question was, okay, Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? An interesting question, an important question. But Jesus doesn't answer that question. In fact, he goes to a different place, and this is what he says. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses. My witnesses. You will give voice to what you have seen and what you have heard and what you know to be true. You will be My witnesses. You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, here's a question for us. When we think about being a witness for what we have seen and what we have heard and what we know to be true about the person of Jesus, 
Here's the question. Do we seek witness protection or do we seek witness proclamation? Witness protection is set up for those who know something, they have seen something, something they know to be true, and they go into disguise in order to protect themselves. That described the disciples after Jesus was taken off and crucified. They went into witness protection. They circled the wagons. They locked the doors, as I probably would have too, as you probably would have too. What changed? What changed them? What brought them out of witness protection and moved them into witness proclamation? It was the resurrection of Jesus that utterly transformed their understanding. It validated to them that Jesus really is who He claimed to be. He's God in the flesh. He really can't forgive my sin. If He's been raised from the dead, I trust that if I trust in Him, that I too will be raised from the dead. Now, I have hope, not just for this life, but for life after this brief stop on this planet. Why does that matter? Because your life and mine is kind of like, if we're to picture it on a piece of paper, it's kind of like a period. Your whole life would be encompassed in this circle. Your forever life is like a line that extends off of this and goes on without an end. Why is your life after death so important? Why is it so important to consider it and what it means and how your life will be lived with God? It's bound up in the resurrection and it's bound up in knowing that you are not to be, I am not to be, one who seeks witness protection, but one who seeks to be a witness proclaimer, sharing with someone else what you believe to be true and why it is important. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest feat of history. Fatal torment, an empty tomb, the appearances of the early disciples, and the life-transforming reality. Jesus is alive, and it set the whole world on fire. It fueled the church and its movement outward, just like it continues to do even to this day. Dr. Seuss wrote a lot of other books. One of them is called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. I'd like to read just a few words out of the many that are here. What's our theme this, these weeks? We're talking about missions, right? Here, there everywhere. Oh, the places you'll go. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. So, be your name Buxbaum or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai Ali Van Allen O'Shea. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So, get on your way. Oh, the places we'll go. The places we will go as we follow and trust the living God. As we look to and follow the resurrected Jesus into the places where He is leading. We talked recently and asked the question, is there anywhere where God is not at work? And we concluded that no, there is nowhere where God is not at work. And so as God would stir and lead churches and individuals, our job is to follow faithfully. Whether it be to Jerusalem... Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Sometimes God sends us to our local gym or to Germany or to Jordan. Sometimes to China or Chile or Chad, Mexico or Malaysia, to your next door neighbor or even Namibia. 
to your Safeway clerk, or to Serbia. My friends, with God, oh my, the places we will go. Father, our desire is to be those who are ready and willing to go with You wherever You would lead because we trust You are working. You are always about Your business. And we want to see it. We want to be involved in it. Give us eyes to see and faith to follow. Help us to be Your people engaged in being Your witnesses, witnesses to what we have seen sharing what You have done in our lives, the areas where You've touched and healed us, the ways You've changed our thinking, the ways You've healed a marriage or improved our parenting, the way You've helped us in our work. Help us to share the story of what You've done. Help us to communicate to others the delight that we have in being forgiven of our sin. Help us to be witnesses of what we've seen and what we've heard, what we know to be true, the resurrection of Jesus, the greatest feat in history. Help us, teach us to tell the story wherever we are, right here, around Marin County, around the world. May we go where you are going, faithfully and joyfully in Jesus' name. Amen.